0: Daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired.
1: This is World Today.
2: Hello and welcome to World Today. I'm Zhao In Argentina, a drastic shortage of U.S. dollars has sparked a surge in the use of the Chinese currency. Over 500 companies in the country are now looking to pay imports in yuan, spanning diverse sectors from electronics and auto parts to oil and mining. And in an unprecedented move, Argentina used yuan to settle part of its debt with the International Monetary Fund. Moreover, the country is allowing commercial banks to open deposit accounts in the Chinese currency. For decades, the U.S. dollar has been the king of currencies. Yet high inflation, geopolitical tensions, and sanctions imposed by America and its allies have prompted a growing number of countries to seek alternative options. Will the U.S. dollar continue to be the world's most influential currency, Or are we witnessing the beginning of the end for dollar hegemony? And what role does China play in reshaping the international monetary system? To discuss these questions and more, we are joined by Arbita Chatterjee, Associate Professor of Economics at University of New South Wales. She's also working as an Associate Professor of Economics at Indian Institute of Management, Bangalore. Dr. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation. And Elaf Alad, Associate Professor of Practice in Economics at New York University, Shanghai. Uh, thank you all for being with us. And Dr. Zhou, to start with you, what do you think is behind Argentina's embracing of the Chinese yuan? Because I remember not long ago, a leading presidential candidate in the country was proposing the idea of adopting the dollar as Argentina's local currency. But in reality, they are increasingly turning to the yuan for import payments and also even settling in debts with the IMF. Why is that?
3: In my understanding, that both countries of China and Argentina were really good and important trade partners. So in the in the recent years, we see that both countries, I mean the government has established a very strong relationship with the other. So we established a mechanism including different kind of things to do with the trade and promote the investment and trying to support the people to move from one country to another. So there are so many uh, interactions between these two countries which has provided a very important platforms for the use of for the you know the currencies of both sides and the second is that we know China is growing uh, very quickly in the past uh, several years about uh, the trades to expand uh, the import and also the exports so we imported a lot of things from Argentina and when we are doing that it is possible for us to use some currencies not only for the US dollars but possible with other kind of currencies which is uh, also, the reason why argentinas I mean, the enterprises and the markets, they do have some accumulation of this currency. And the third one is also important because we see that the U.S. dollar is not that stable like before. So when Argentina is trying to think about whether it is possible for both sides of China and Argentina to use their own currencies in the international trade and also the investment, and it is much possible for the stakeholders to be involved in this kind of transactions.
2: Mm Okay, so Professor Chatterjee, I'd like to get your thoughts on this. What do you think is behind this trend for Argentina to to embrace the Chinese Yuan? And also, as we know, there's a shortage of dollars in the country. But what exactly has led to this, this shortage of dollars in Argentina?
1: Um, thank you. Uh, thank you for uh, hosting this talk. Uh, so, yes. Uh, Um, I think I uh, agree with uh, Professor Zhou that, uh, you know, there has been uh, this, uh, Argentina and uh, China has, uh, it's not just a quick short-term solution to the uh, crisis that Argentina is currently facing, which is, uh, you know, the huge devaluation, uh, the almost hyperinflation type situation, shortage of dollar, uh, all of this is, uh, you know, leading to uh, crisis in its state uh, repayment. And in this situation, it's not it's not simply to keep the assembly line moving that they are uh, switching to yuan. It's actually part of a much more longer run trend. Uh, They are very important trade partners. Uh, You know, last year, the Argentina became part of the uh, Belt and Road Initiative and they've been invited to the BRICS uh, Summit i've uh, been, uh, you know, part of the international, uh, the uh, the New Development Bank, and so it's it's all part of a trend. And in fact, we have used data from 2003 to 2015, 2018, in fact, uh, and see that spillovers effects of China on Argentina and Brazil is actually very prominent, almost as uh, as big as um, the U.S. And so it makes. Uh, makes total economic sense actually for them to uh, you know start using more if you want in especially in bilateral trade uh, and uh, potentially not just in bilateral but multilateral trade in some of this debt repayment that we are seeing. Mm -hmm. Okay so professor Allard um, actually we know
2: that the U.S. dollar has played a dominant role in the economic life of Argentinians and has even become deeply ingrained in Argentine culture and society, right? I mean, how, how did the U.S. dollar acquire such a prominent position in a country? Uh, and, and in what ways does the reliance on the dollar impact Argentina's monetary policy and its ability to control its own economy?
0: Yeah, the dollar acquired a prominent position, partly uh, in the uh, last century after the end of the Second World War, because first uh, the dollar was linked to gold and many other countries uh, linked their currencies uh, to gold indirectly via linking to the dollar. And after the link between the uh, dollar and gold was cut off. Uh, then uh, gold uh, replaced the, if you like, gold as the international uh, standard, uh, monetary standard. And that's one of the reasons. Uh, In addition, uh, it is connected to the strength of the uh, financial system of uh, the United States, the economic influence of the United States, that uh, currencies uh, tend to rise in use uh, with the dominant power in the world. And simply it is the function of a currency is to pay, save and to count. That is medium of exchange, store of value and a unit of account. And if more people use the dollar to pay in transactions or to save in terms of investment or uh, accept the currency as a denomination for, for example, financial or trade transaction, that is some of the factors that contributed to the US dollar having such a prominent position. And uh, then the second question is, how does it affect the uh, monetary policy of Argentina? Argentina is does not have a fixed exchange rate, um, but uh, it is uh, still uh, at least uh, indirectly linked to the dollar and uh, if that is the case it means that what is happening in the United States in terms of fiscal and monetary policy it has an in, uh, impact on the Argentinian economy because the uh, Argentina uh, peso is not a freely floating exchange rate so there's some spillover as the previous speaker uh, suggested between the United States and Argentina via the linkage of the currencies
2: Mm-hmm. So, Professor Allard, um, what what do you make of the significance of Argentina's decision to use the yuan to settle part of its debt with the IMF? I mean, is this a shift away from the dollar? Uh,
0: yeah. So I think it's um, this point is very interesting because this is settling existing debt in yuan, and uh, that uh, would be even more significant if Argentina actually, when it. Uh, created a debt would denominate the debt in dollars. So what happens is if you have debt denominated in, for example, renminbi or dollar, the choice uh, is partly influenced. Do you want to have the exchange rate risk of the renminbi to the peso or the dollar to the peso? Second, do you want to have inflation effects from, for example, from China? Uh, where inflation rates are different than the United States. And third, as I just mentioned, do you as an economy in Argentina, do you want to be affected more by monetary policy of China or of United States? And uh, in addition, for example, the financial stability or instability of different uh, you know economies that are linked to the currency. And... I would say this is it's a small, uh, small piece of news, but if it is a significant um, harbinger of, uh, for example, Argentina denominating its debt in UN, that would suggest that the status of the UN um, has marked um, a big change. Mm-hmm.
2: So, Dr. Joe, uh, do you anticipate other debt-ridden countries facing similar challenges will follow Argentina's lead and opt for non-dollar payments?
3: Actually, in my understanding, there are maybe a lot of different requirements because every country is quite special in the international regime. So for Argentina, they are one of the biggest, uh, I I mean, in that way is IMF about the loans, but for other countries, maybe some of them are really dependent on the U.S. dollars, I I mean, for the reserve. But sometimes when they are trying to improve the trade relationship with other countries, including China, they may think about the values and trying to think about that in uh, different ways. So uh, I would say that uh, all the countries, they do have their very special conditions and some of them when they are uh, trying to see the possibilities, they found that uh, there may be more choices, uh, except for US dollars, they may try to diversify their investment uh, in the portfolios, in the different currencies of your dollars, of RMB and also our Euro, Yen and different kind of possibilities. So in the in the risky world, and I mean, this is the world we are nowadays in, uh, the people, the country and also enterprises will try to do more to diversify their investment portfolio and trying to put the X in different baskets. And uh, that is definitely what's happening. So for the using of the currencies, I, I think that some of them may be trying to see the the effect of uh, the bilateral uh, experiment between China and Argentina, and want to know more about the lessons, experiences, and then decide what they would do. So uh, as RMB is one of the choices in IMF, uh, uh, I mean the SDR basket, I do believe that it is possible for more countries to think about the ways and uh, you know the amount of. Uh, Currencies they want to use in the basket.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, so Professor Chatterjee, actually, we know that Argentina is still under negotiations with the IMF to restructure its debt. Um, so, will this decision to use yuan and SDRs for debt payments have an impact on on these
1: negotiations? Yeah. So uh, this is a bit hard to say. It's a little bit speculative at this point because the negotiations are taking place, but it's possible to have somewhat of a positive impact because it's going to reduce dependence on just the USD reserves, which, you know, Argentina is already running uh, kind of short of. Um, And so that might make the repayment uh, commitments look a bit more credible. But I think it's still like the key conversations will probably uh, be centered around kind of medium term fiscal reforms, which is, Sort of the uh, yeah, which will probably take up most of the uh, nego- negotiators' time. I think. Mm. Yeah, and, and yeah. Professor
2: Chatterjee, um, we know that Argentina's central bank has also recently announced that financial institutions can open yuan-denominated accounts. What implications will this policy have on the country's financial sector as well as businesses and individuals?
1: Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I think here, you know, basically what it means is private borrowers and lenders. Uh, they can now transact in Yuan in, in Argentina. So, a part of uh, private deposit can switch to a more, more stable currency like Yuan compared to Peso. And also like corporate or uh, household borrowing may p- partly be in uh, in Yuan. So, it's kind of, you know, instead of uh, dollarization, it's kind of a union, unionization of uh, Argentina, I guess, in, in, in that sense. And it's going to immediately benefit those business sectors that trade with China a lot. Uh, but on the other hand this you know, diversification of risk that the benefit that's coming from that, that's going to be a little bit limited here because it's true that USD and e do co-move a lot with each other. So, I mean, how much of portfolio diversification uh, will come? That's kind of something that remains to be seen. And also one more point is, uh, you know, it is, I mean, one of Argentina's key problem is that there's a lot of external uh, date, foreign currency denominated date. That's like termed as one of the original sins of many emerging markets, Argentina being one of the prime examples. And that's that scene is still remaining. So that vulnerability still remains. It just comes uh to comes in a new avatar now. Uh, and you know, so to that extent, it's uh, it remains to be seen, you know, whether there's kind of spillover effects from monetary policy of uh, Uh, of China, uh, how they are going to impact um, Argentina in the future. That's something that uh, remains to be seen.
2: Yeah. And then Professor Allard, as you said, the US dollar has been the king of currencies for decades. Uh, It's the world's reserve currency. But do you see a de-dollarization trend globally in recent years? And if so, what do you think has been driving this trend?
0: The de-dollarization I think is only very slowly showing up in the data. And I think if we uh, remember that um, a few, I think a few months ago, uh, within the last year or so, uh, when the Ukraine Russian situation broke out and the uh, central bank assets of the Russian central bank were frozen. I think this suggests that this uh, a symbolic um, event that uh, I would say shocked uh, and surprised many observers uh, because it laid bare the reality of, uh, if you like, the international financial system. And I think other countries uh, besides uh, Russia um, are taking, uh, if you like, heat of this situation. And I think this will accelerate the. Um, slow de-dollarization um, in in the next uh, few decades because what it suggests that uh, in the international uh, payment system based on a dollar uh, in crises, especially for example, war um, might be highly unstable. And I think this is uh, something to bear in mind. And in, in the past, uh, people normally only analyzed uh, economic factors in terms of uh, trade, financial uh, financial linkages. But I think given the, the change in um, geopolitical uh, power, uh, the political economy uh, and these uh, geopolitical uh, elements, I think are now taken into consideration to think about uh, what will affect the trend of de-dollarization? And I think this is something that uh, is new compared to, let's say, five years ago. So no longer are we just talking about increasing or decreasing trade and financial linkages, but also the uh, shifting alliances of uh, different um, countries.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, so Professor Joe, if you look at the Ukraine crisis and 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 the sanctions that followed. What do you call it—the weaponization of the dollar—and and has it backfired? Like, has it facilitated uh, this shift away from the dollar globally?
3: Obviously, that U.S. Uh, government and other Western countries are using their dominance in the financial markets to to try to reach their goal. I, I think that is definitely. Obvious, even in the U.S. government files. They said that uh, even for the sanctions for different kind of measurement, they are trying to do something to reach their goal. So they are using anything they can do, except for the, uh, maybe also combined with some weapons and also military actions. But uh, I I do believe that the financial market or the financial aspect is much more stronger than uh, what they can do in the war field. Actually they are using uh, they are putting some uh, threshold or you know some some uh, some price for the export of uh, uh, Russia's oil exports and uh, they finally reached that because that uh, many, uh, financial, I, I mean, the, especially the insurance companies are from the Western countries. See, so they can control can the price uh, in the international trade. So the financial market is uh, one of the very strong and powerful and measurement of the Western countries and the U.S., United States and other uh, their allies are trying to do that to reach their goal by different kind of things. And the U.S. dollars is playing also a very important role in this regard. Well in this regard, I do believe that it also are affecting many other related economies and some of the economies are thinking about whether they still have to believe in the stability of your solar or credibility of that and uh, in this regard some of them are trying to think about uh, whether they do try they can try to find some alternative maybe it's not a very short change or you know uh, one, uh, 180 degree turn from the, the change of the policies or attitudes but they are thinking about that they are trying to put more, uh, choices in different currencies and related portfolios.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Professor Chatterjee, do you believe there are other factors that have contributed to this de-dollarization
1: trend globally? Um, so, yes, the geopolitical factors are certainly playing a role. Uh, but I, I, mean, I would still think that you know, the economic factors are uh, very important, actually. Uh, so the de-dollarization started actually with the establishment of euro, that becoming quite important in trade invoicing uh, in in the eurozone, uh, and then actually the spectacular growth of China, its dominance in world trade. Uh, in if anything, the you know the use of yuan kind of lagged behind that that dominance. So. Uh, even after controlling for uh, the capital controls in China, there is a paper by Ito and Qin uh, in 2013 that showed that the use of uh, China's currency in world trade has actually lagged behind its dominance in uh, in world trade. So it's it's kind of something that we expect from economic angle to at least in terms of trade invoicing and eventually in some of the uh, you know financial uh, transactions, uh, the use of uh, Yunnan to become more prominent. What may have happened, the geopolitical factors, is that it has sort of hastened this—the uh, arrival of the tipping point—or you know some of some of the things may have happening more quickly. Uh, but I think the fundamentals are still somewhat economic in nature, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we'll see a gradual erosion of uh, dollars' uh, supremacy, uh, at least as a unit of account and medium of exchange, not necessarily a store of value. Okay, so
2: Professor Allard, um. I mean w- w- what does the existing dollar supremacy mean for the United States? I mean, is it all privileges or do you think there's also s- some kind of burden that maybe not all countries are able to bear
0: the the fact that the um, us dollar is the uh, if you like the global reserve currency uh, <laughs> does have a lot of uh, advantages and that's why it's called uh, the exorbitant uh, prevalent uh, privilege, uh, according to uh, Berkeley, uh, I think Berkeley professor of economic history. And the the disadvantages are partly that you uh, do not have to face uh, the constraint that a normal economy would have to face if you have a currency that is uh, not the global reserve currency, specifically, the constraint is that if you have a normal currency that is not Uh, uh, if you like having the luxury of the exorbitant privilege, uh, you face, um, for example, debt sustainability issues, uh, because uh, if you like investors are no longer trusting your currency, because they think there's a likelihood of a default. And this is what has been exhibited, for example, the 1997 Asian financial crisis in Korea, in Thailand and so on, but also in, for example, Latin American uh, financial crisis where they um, um, had uh, dollar denominated uh, debt or local, de- uh, local currency dominated debt. Um, and if you have a global reserve currency, you do not face uh, this uh, problem because in times of crises, investors flock to the United States as a harbor as a safety and we have seen this even in a situation like 2007 2008 uh, with the Western financial crisis at that time originating from uh, from New York and places like the United States so if uh, that financial crisis originated from another country Um, investors would have fled that currency and gone to the dollar. But here you had a crisis originating from the United States, but still investors would go to the United States because they thought, relatively speaking, uh, the dollar was uh, one of the safest currencies, maybe next to to the euro. And um, so therefore, just in sum, there's some advantages, but also uh, disadvantages Mm -hmm. and the disadvantages, if they are relied upon too heavily, uh, the market uh, over time, um, if another geopolitical power uh, arises, such as uh, China or India in the future, uh, would suggest that they switch over time uh, to other countries' uh, Mm -hmm. currency.
2: Okay so Dr. Joe um, how how do you look at the costs and benefits of being the world's reserve currency
3: uh, as this kind of uh, treasury i mean that is definitely one of the uh, very good things because our currencies i mean the country's currencies can be owned or expected by many different governments as for the federal reserve we know that it is important for the countries to import something from other countries in the in this world in the international trade regime every country is dependent on the international trade we import the crude oils and we some we provide some manufacturing products and all the countries if they want to import something they need to have the have the foreign uh, reserves to buy the things they want to have. But when they have enough uh, or too much of them, they may still think about the 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 you know the value of those reserves and trying to think about how could we be sustainable to put the investment in different kind of uh, uh, portfolios like the gold, the uh, different real estate or different currencies. So for the reserve, it's a very important thing to try to think about the structure of that in mm-hmm. the different scenarios, in different times, yes. and it is dependent on the different uh, I, I think that we should mm-hmm. try to develop the different strategies yes. based on Thank
2: you, Dr. Things. Zhou Mi and uh, Professor uh, Arbita Chatterjee and Professor Ilav Allard. Let's take a short break. Coming back, we'll continue our discussion. You're listening to World Today. I'm Zhao Yang, joined by Arbita Chatterjee, Associate Professor of Economics at University of New South Wales, who is also working as an Associate Professor of Economics at Indian Institute of Management, Bangalore, Dr. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, and Elif Allard, Associate Professor of Practice in Economics at New York University, Shanghai. Uh, So, Professor Chatterjee, just now we were discussing the costs and benefits of being the world's reserve currency. I'd like to get your thought on this, uh, because do you feel this is um, all about privilege, or do you think it can also be a burden, for instance, um, the Fed's actions could be amplified by this dominance position, and also it may make the U.S. exports more expensive? Um, What's your thought?
1: Yeah. Yes, I, I think, as you said, there are both. Uh, there is, of course, substantial benefit to it, both tangible and intangible. Intangible in the sense, you know, there is a prestige, but more importantly, there is a tangible benefit, right? Uh, that uh, you know, you can essentially live beyond your means, can run current account deficit, and and finance it with, uh, you know, essentially cheap loan from all over the world without suffering exchange rate risk. Um, and you have this scenario revenue that comes from basically the difference between the purchasing power of money and the uh, cost of producing it. And you can essentially extract that revenue from both domestic and foreign holders of your currency. So these are substantial tangible benefits. But it's true, right, that you come, this very high net demand for dollar uh, in, the, in the market leads to a very appreciated um, exchange rate. And therefore, uh, you know, it comes, it leads to some competitive disadvantage for uh, US-based exporters. Uh, So it's kind of this classic uh, Triffin's dilemma, right? Mm -hmm. A net producer of safe asset is going to have uh, to run a high current account deficit and that's essentially what we are uh, observing and there's a lot of concern about, you know, this kind of current account deficit, uh, loss of manufacturing and therefore leading to loss in jobs. So it does come with some, uh, uh, some cost on the part of the uh, you know the the head
2: that wears the crown, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So, Professor Allard, um, you know, U.S. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell recently testified before the House Financial Services Committee, and he was asked whether he believes the U.S. dollar's global reserve currency status is the cause of America's economic dominance or a consequence of it. And Powell said that it is more of a consequence, but I mean, some people disagreed. For instance, economist Peter Schiff said on Twitter, and I quote, the dollar's reserve currency status was originally a consequence of America's economic dominance, but it has since become the main prop upon which that economic dominance now rests. Um, I mean, considering these viewpoints, which perspective do you find more compelling?
0: I think it is uh, not either or, Mm -hmm. but both. So if we ask the question, maybe it's more, um, I think, easier to understand um, if we break it down uh, from this very abstract uh, dollar status uh, question. And one just asks, why is it the case that, uh, for example, in China, the yuan, is the dominant currency, not the Korean one, or in the United States, why is in the United States the dollar used and not the euro. So um, on the one hand, you can say, well, this is an outcome from the bottom up where the economic agents in the economy just choose to use the dollar as the currency for 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 various uh, preferences for maybe the stability, uh, convenience, and so on. Uh, Secondly, uh, you can say, well, that is because the U.S. authority, the U.S. government uh, requires it to be uh, the uh, denomination in which taxes are paid. Uh, so that you can say that it's top down, that uh, the authority decides it comes from power, not because of the choice of the market. And most of the time it's neither or. So if you just rely on, for example, the um, economic strength argument, uh, I think it it would not work because uh, you can only go so far to force people to use your currency. Um, so if uh, the the debate is about is it due to the economic dominance uh, or is it a consequence of it? Is it the cause or the effect? I would say it is uh, both, and um, I don't think the the question is uh, is I think really the most important because. Uh, it is very natural to expect that the reserve currency of a specific time in economic history is temporary. We have seen this with the pound. We have seen this with other currencies. So it's uh, only a question of uh, necessary time and it is Um, I think natural that um, the dollar's reserve currency will not be preserved because the world is uh, changing. Now, uh, finally, one last point is um, the interesting thing is now compared with, uh, let's say, 50 years ago, at that time we had gold still as a potential alternative. Today, we do not. So today, when uh, geopolitical alliances are shifting, most of the other currencies in the world, or virtually all of them, are no longer linked to any silver or gold or any other standard. Uh, So now you have the competition between different fiat currencies, none of which is linked to gold, which makes this uh, debate that we're having today about the dollar reserve currency uh, different than Mm -hmm. previously, where you always had uh, if you like some type of commodity standard in the past. And if I just may add one, one last uh, point here is in the past, what happens is if you have silver or gold or some kind of fiat currency, uh, sorry, uh, a currency backed by gold or uh, silver in times of crises or, uh, internal or international wars, you would have trust eroding in most economies would switch to internally or external to some kind of commodity money. And when the trust would be established back onto, for example, politically, uh, to, to a political stability, stable uh, economy, then uh, most market actors and authorities and central banks will be happy to use a Uh, currency that is uh, backed by gold or silver, but not, uh, if you like, not gold directly. And today, this is no longer the case, because there's no other alternative. If we completely ignore Claims of Bitcoin being digital gold, which I think is highly questionable. So I think this is the very interesting time that we live in today where the when the dollar falls in relative uh, significance, uh, the question of currency competition is now a new one because Mm -hmm. the alternative of commodity money is no longer there.
2: Yeah, that's a very interesting point. And, and and Dr. Joe actually, Powell also mentioned that the, the reason for the dollar's reserve currency status largely stems from the U.S. great democratic institutions, the rule of law, and strong levels of price stability. And he added that as long as these factors are in place, the dollar will remain the reserve currency. Do you agree with him?
3: Actually, I'm not quite agree with him about this opinion because we are... Not only based on the some kind of uh, ideology things about our things uh, by observe. Actually we are uh, trying to make decisions based on the real demand and the supply. As for US dollars, maybe in the past it has very strong relationship with uh, the, the commodity like uh, the, the crude oil, and also, you know, they are very strong involved in the sovereign sovereign fund by different countries like the Saudi. But in the future, what can we know? Because that world is changing very quickly, and the trade and also investment, uh, the, the maps are changing very quickly. And we are still seeing there are more diversified kind of choices. So if we are only based on every kind of a demand based on the you know, the democracy or something like that, I I don't think that it's a, a very sustainable ways for U.S. dollars to take its position as a dominant currency. Well, on the other hand, I, I think that the world is uh, trying to think about the uh, different uh, uh, relationship, like uh, if we, in the past, we based on the crude oil, we now are seeing. Nowadays, we are seeing more new things, like the, uh, the renewable energy and also uh, many kind of different kind of choices. So in this regard, I do think that they are more identical or are not identical, maybe more diversified demand on the, on the uh, different currencies. Well, on the other hand, we still see that more countries are trying to think about whether they are possible to provide better choices or at least some of the choices. Maybe in the past we see that nowadays there are so many US dollars in the world that they can compose a very important financial market or, or a pool for different kind of uh, uh, financial uh, products and also to improve the innovation based on US dollars. But maybe in the future when there are more different currencies in the international markets, the demand and also the supply of the innovative ways of financial products will be designed and that will meet different demand from different stakeholders. And that is definitely will ch- challenge the dominant position of U.S. dollars.
2: Mm-hmm. OK, so Professor Chatterjee, what's your thought on on Powell's uh, statements? And, and do you feel that dollar's uh, dominance is a cause or consequence of America's economic dominance?
1: Yeah, so uh, it's it's actually quite a thoughtful um, question. And I think, you know, dollar's dominance, if you think of it again, when I talk about this international reserve currency, I want to think about these three functions of unit of account, medium of exchange and uh, store of value. So unit of account or even as medium of exchange, which are linked to its being, as the forex reserve currency or anchoring currency used by uh, you know, monetary policymakers all over the world, these partly relies on inertia of historical economic dominance in international trade and commerce. And as over long or medium run, you know, emerging economies, particularly China taking a center stage in the world, some of these inertia will be eroded and uh, by the convenience of conducting you know, business in alternative currencies, right? And part of it is already happening. But if you think about, you know, the role of dollar as the store of value, there, for that one, I need to agree with, uh, I agree with Chairman Powell about, you know, it's the rule of law, the transparency, the democratic checks and balances that matter for kind of keeping a lead on this inflating away date kind of incentive uh, that, uh, that you know, the pressure comes internally from domestic political economy. U.S. can't really afford to inflate away date because it's going to also create a lot of uh, you know, distributional consequences going to ha- hurt the pension funds and uh, other big political constituencies within the country, and that will keep these kind of uh, things in check. So the resulting price stability will mean that you know, as an international safe haven ha- asset, dollar's position is still kind of uh, unchallenged. I think the other alternatives need to go through like a lot of institutional reforms, financial reforms, uh, so that investors large high network individuals have a lot more confidence in investing it as a safe haven asset till then as a store of value i think dollars uh, uh, strength is kind of unmatched but yeah as a unit of account and medium of exchange i i can see that you know eventually the network effects of yuan or euro are going to erode away at, uh, at the uh, unchallenged position that dollar currently has
2: yeah, yeah. So there's a distinction between de-dollarization and the actual end of dollars' dominance uh, globally, right? So, Professor Alad, uh, w- what's your thought on this? Do you think um, uh, the dollar's position is, is still um, unchallenged, or or do you feel that it stays as as perhaps the dominant uh, world's reserve currency uh, is is numbered?
0: I think the points uh, by Professor Chattery I think were very uh, interesting and I think important because that is indeed um, the uh, institutional check on uh, abusing the exorbitant privilege of uh, the global reserve currency. And um, if you add to this and analyze the last let's say decade and ask are the trends in favor, or against uh, the dollar still being the global reserve currency. So the trends would be uh, against its favor. uh, If you think about economic uh, instability, uh, political instability, um, that um, clearly have been on the negative uh, side uh, in the past uh, decade at least, uh, certainly since 2007-2008, since that uh, financial crisis hit uh, most of Western economies. Um, in addition, uh, you add the decline in global economic influence, um, and you can see this, for example, again with the Russia-Ukraine situation, where uh, that situation, I think, would be... Uh, even more unimaginable, uh, let's say 20 years ago, uh, where uh, there would be such a direct um, uh, confrontation um, on on the Western European continent. So uh, I agree that the it is, um, I I think it is um, being challenged, but I think it is not without challenge. And I think most of the times these changes happen, not gradually, uh, but uh, quickly. Mm -hmm. And um, it's uh, because I think, as I mentioned before, uh, networks, uh, network effects, inertia, um, it is stable until it is not. So I don't think we will see in the data a very slow, gradual shift, uh, because if you... Um, If you observe many changes, they are step changes, that uh, over time uh, there will be a change, and that seems to be unexpected, but it is a gradual one. Mm
2: -hmm. Okay, so so Dr. Zhou, how do you perceive the rising influence of China's currency, Yuan? What what factors do you think is driving us uh, increasing popularity, and do you think it could potentially become a new international reserve currency?
3: So, in my understanding that all the currency has a a kind of, uh, you know, two sides. The first one is the supply of that, and the second is the demand of that. As you mentioned, that it's um, more popular nowadays by different countries, because that many countries are trying to diversify their portfolios, and they really see the potential of RMB. And I think that their understanding and their belief or prediction about the value of RMB is based on the economy of China, because we know that all the uh, currencies just like any other products that the value of that is uh, about uh, how many how many of them want to have them if there are more want to have that it will be uh, appreciated in the future so actually I, I think that more countries are trying to do that because they are saying that china is importing more things from different countries and when we are import something from other country we have to put to pay for them so we can use uh, currencies including the RMB yuan and i have to believe that is one aspect i have to say and in the, another hand I, I i do believe that china's government is not so active to you know to internationalize the RMB actually we have uh, uh, put forward this goal of internationalize. Of RMB for decades, but we are not so—I uh, mean—so active in doing that because we need to be very cautious about uh, the the balance of the the the, the supply of RMB. And uh, as for China, the monetary policies is very very difficult for us. It's a very big country, and we have to trying to reach some of the goals. So if we have put so many RMB in other countries, in the foreign market, it is not that easy for us to adjust our policies. Not like the United States, we see that the Federal Reserve is trying to pitch more or many of these concerns about its domestic market. So we are not trying to think about other markets when it appreciates the uh, or trying to put more interest rate to re- increase the interest rate, but for China, I don't think that it's a kind of the similar things. Like in the 1997, for the South, is the financial crisis, we promised that we will not devaluate the RMB to benefit from the export. So we are trying to do that. So in this regard, I have to say that for the usage of RMB and for the internationalization of RMB we are still uh, have much room to improve. We are still trying to do some things based on the bilateral mechanism or some experiments one by one. And then if there are enough pool in the out of China, I do believe that the market will, uh, will be more active in creating better, better products to provide the different, uh, I mean, the stakeholders with different kind of uh, products to meet their demand. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, Professor Chatterjee, uh, as we know, Brazil and Argentina have been talking about the creation of a common currency. And there are similar discussions within the BRICS and also the ASEAN for common currencies. Um, Do you think these are feasible ideas and and what would it take to create a stable common currency?
1: Yeah. uh, So, you know, if these countries actually do envision a common currency in the future, my my first concern would be regarding fiscal foundations of such a monetary union so basically a common currency means a common central bank where whereas each country is going to have an independent fiscal authority and typically the concern is that you know these independent fiscal authorities will essentially try to you know free ride on each other run excessive fiscal deficit and then pass some of that cost on to the other country in terms of higher inflation and higher interest rate Right. So before Euro, uh, I mean, there's a Maastricht Treaty, and you know there are like specific rules, like three parts not more than three percent deficit as percentage of GDP. At at least in terms of rule, ECB is not supposed to bail out any uh, country uh, from a fiscal crisis. So uh, you know these rules had to be in place. Some kind of fiscal rules had to be in place. Um, There is this paper by Professor Avinas Dixit and uh, his co-author, where they show that even if two countries, uh, you know, can theoretically agree about the ideal level of output and inflation, even if they can't agree on, uh, you know, uh, the exact weights uh, or the, you know, whether there's going to be some exposed monetary accommodation without fiscal coordination, they can still achieve this, this stable uh, monetary union. But whether, Countries like Brazil and Argentina that have, you know, a history of high fiscal deficit, high fiscal debt, monetizing debt, would they be even even able to uh, agree on these ideal uh, levels of output and inflation targets? Uh, you mm-hmm. know, would it's something that I'm I'm kind of skeptical about. Mm-hmm. And similarly, coming to BRICS, I mean. There's a lot of geopolitical, t- I mean, when you're talking about fiscal coordination, fiscal issues, you know, there is always politics involved and geopolitical tension is there within BRICS. So it's not clear that that's sort of, you know, it's kind of tenable. If you tell me to pick among these, I mean, I would be, it would be more optimistic about the possibility for ASEAN to have something like that because they have a history of more stable economic cooperation. Uh, and potentially, you know, maybe Singapore dollar can be like some type of anchor before emergence of a common currency like the way Germany did for euro. But one thing might be possible is to potentially in future, you know, the BRICS countries, Brazil, Argentina, they are all emerging countries, first growing, lot of trade interaction, good digital infrastructures, you know, central bank digital currency. So and having a national ambition for their own currencies' future. So potentially, you know, they might uh, have some possibility of international transactions using CBDC wallet or, or something of that sort in the in the future. Maybe that would be uh, a more realistic possibility, but it remains to be seen.
2: Okay, so uh, I mean, Dr. Zhou, uh, where does China find this role in 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 like pushing uh, this this shift or this to challenge the dollar's dominance, for instance, and uh, in creating these these common currencies?
3: So I, I don't think that China is trying to challenge U.S. dollars position, uh, especially nowadays. Actually, we also have many, uh, I mean, the, the uh, reserve in the uh, denominated in U.S. dollars. So in this world, we are trying to provide better choices and trying to, especially to meet different uh, markets demand on the difference or diversification of the currencies actually in china i think that most of our concerns about not only for the foreign trade may are we are trying to improve the status of china so you may find that the interest rate of china and the united states is quite different we are still lowering our interest rates trying to give more support for the smes to to have uh, to provide them with lower cost of the uh, of the of the landings and for the financial Financial market. Well, for in US dollars, they are doing the opposite things. So in this world, there are so many unbalanced things. And uh, in, uh, we we may try to believe that the world is getting better for some people and some others. So they believe that uh, it will get worse. So actually, we should try to address the different uh, willingness of the different stakeholders and trying to provide, especially to protect the small and uh, medium sized part and also the weaker part of the society instead of just putting them in a very heavy debt. And sometimes if they they are put in that position, it's not so easy for them to get out of them. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, Professor Allard, um, how do you envision the future of the international monetary system? Uh, Could we be witnessing the beginning of a multipolar currency system or do you believe that a dominant reserve currency is still necessary?
0: I think uh, the name of international monetary system, uh, if you want to replace it with international payment system, mm-hmm. which is slightly related, uh, highlights um, the meaning of what uh, is behind this discussion that uh, we have, which is uh, to pay, uh, which is one one of the aspects as we, we discussed, um, uh, to pay, to save and to count and to pay from English comes from to pacify PAX, Pax americana which means to make peace with so if i go to a shop and i uh, take something without paying that uh, boss from the shop is not happy to pacify him to have peace i need to pay so what happens is when we're now talking about changes in the international payment system or monetary system it actually is very much connected with things that many people care about besides money which is international peace and uh, i think if we ask will the international payment system change? I think we see that uh, the, uh, you know, the the trends in terms of peace in the last, uh, let's say, five years were not on a positive uh, trajectory, uh, let alone, I mean, least uh, to be mentioned, uh, Ukraine, Russia. So I think it is highly likely that when the political and the peace alliances are changing, that as a reflection of that, the international payment system will also change. Uh, Unfortunately, when this international payment system is the the system that allows trade to happen peacefully breaks down, it also would suggest that uh, politically uh, there will be more instability, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, The only question is if we can um, spend time thinking about how the transition, the change uh, to a different system, whether it be uh, bipolar, Uh, multipolar, um, how to do that in a way that is uh, reduces uh, the loss uh, and the risks to, for example, trade, uh, as well as uh, bilateral relations between uh, different countries.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, Professor Chatterjee, um, how do you foresee the future of the
1: international monetary system? Uh, yes, so I, I think also in terms of this international payment system, uh, you know, there would be more multipolar in the sense of increasing use of both yuan and euro as unit of account and potentially as medium of exchange, which will also eventually lead them to be at least one of the currencies that other central banks keep track of, uh, keep maybe reserves of and so on. But again, like over at least the medium to long run, I can see dollar retaining its position as the Um, As the store of value uh, asset, uh, the safe haven asset in 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 a a sense, but um, yeah, it uh, remains to be seen. Uh, We hope that the geopolitical risks don't reach a point where you know countries have to make hard choices between these. As long as there are options that uh, you know, depending on the nature of trade within the region, can choose these different payment options. That's actually. probably a more stable system mm. to emerge out
2: of that. Yeah, thank you. We've been talking to Arbita Chatterjee, Associate Professor of Economics at University of New South Wales. He, she also holds the position of Associate Professor of Economics at Indian Institute of Management, Bangalore, and Dr. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, and Elaf Allad, Associate Professor of Practice in Economics at New York University, Shanghai thank you all for being with us. And that's all the time we have for this edition of World Today. I'm Zhao Ying. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time.